0: Ron Anian. Part of the problem in diagnosing a vehicle, for me, it gets to be emotional.
1: If we are to truly discover the meaning of these events, perhaps we should, for the time being, let them unfold.
0: The Car Doctor. If you let your emotions get involved, this car's a piece of junk, this car's a piece of junk, this car's a piece of junk, and it's not like that. That has to go to the back of your mind. It has to be, what's the source of the problem? What steps am I going to take to resolve
2: it? Are you incapable of
1: restraining yourself, or do you take pride in being an insufferable know-it-all?
0: Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, 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 how the automobile continues to evolve and change. Hello and welcome. I'm Ron Anini in the car, doctor. Here at 855 560 9900, here to take your calls and answer your questions. There's more information about this radio show, as always, at cardoctorshow.com, as well as links on the Car Doctor Show page to tune in, iHeart, iTunes.com, as well as some other information as far as what's going on with the Car Doctor and what we're always talking about. Um, we are, I should announce, I guess we're going to be, it's a little early, but we can talk about it. We're about two months out, but we are going to be live on remote in New Jersey at the uh, Meadowlands Expo, or not the Meadowlands Expo, the Northeast Trade Show, which I think is in the Secaucus Convention Center, Secaucus, New Jersey, um, the weekend of March 19th, as we always go down there for the AASPNJ show. And we'll be live again down there um, celebrating and talking about uh, cars as they are. And uh, we look forward to that, so we should put that out there. But I think the way I would kick off this hour of the car doctor is talk to you a little bit about how they've evolved and how they've changed and, and Best example I can give of it, I posted it out on the Facebook page, is a picture of a brake pedal position sensor. Now, in the old days, you and I knew it as a brake switch. You step on the brake pedal, the switch would close, allow current to flow back to the brake lights, or in some cases, and cars got newer, it flowed to a relay and turned the brake lights on. Well, there is no brake pedal position sensor. On a lot of car, I'm sorry, there's no brake switch on a lot of cars today. We had a 2010 Cadillac in the shop this week where the brake lights were staying on all the time, and right away you think to yourself, okay, it's got a bad brake light switch. You go through the course of diagnosis, there is no switch in this car. It's got a brake pedal position sensor, three-wire sensor, a reed-style sensor with magnets in it that allows the computer, when you look at it on a scan tool, it's really kind of interesting... It allows the computer to know pedal position as you approach the moment of where the lights would come on. What am I saying? For example, at rest, the brake pedal position sensor reported a position of 185. As I stepped on the pedal, 186, 187, 188, 189, and so on, and somewhere around 189, 200, The lights came on. And what they're doing is they're allowing the computer to anticipate how fast you're stepping on the brake and how it might want to apply not just the brake lights but traction control devices based on inputs from that, your sensor, and a couple of other things that are other other factors that are inside the automobile. And it just makes you look at it and say – there's nothing simple anymore. And you have to look at also how it gets replaced to change a brake pedal position sensor or a BBPS. BPPS. Whew, say that seven times fast. It's. And it's really kind of. I got to tell you, you know, stupid is as stupid does. They mount the brake pedal position sensor on the accelerator pedal assembly, not the gas pedal, accelerator pedal, because it's. A sensor that's drive-by-wire car that opens and closes the throttle plates electronically via inputs and signals, and how the computer controls throttle opening. They mount the eight-millimeter bolt for the BPPS, the brake pedal sensor, on the inside bracket of the accelerator sensor. So you have to take off the accelerator pedal sensor to get to the BPP sensor and under the dash. Now, it would have been a whole lot easier if the General Motors engineer had put the recessed self-contained nut on the accelerator pedal sensor and bolted the BPP sensor in from the other side. They they increased the repair time 20 minutes to a half hour. And the fact is that we're seeing a lot of BPP sensors fail from from what I'm reading and from what I'm... Experiencing And from what I'm talking to other shops, it just makes you scratch your head and you say, you know, it's it's just kind of strange. But anyway, that's out on uh, that's out on our Facebook page. If you get out to Ron in the face, Ron and the car doctor out on Facebook, you'll see that. And I should point out we are going to start to put these things on YouTube and bring YouTube in as a link to Facebook. We're going to make that policy so that you can get out to YouTube if you don't have Facebook. And I can understand why you don't want to have Facebook because it's a lot of time. That um, you know, how many places can you be and How many things can you do? But in any event, let's uh, let's kick open the phones early. What do you say we get to the phones before the break? Harry. Yeah. I see you have approached the microphone. Yes. Looking as schwelt as ever. Always. Always.
3: Down to one eighty-two. Yeah.
0: So all America trembles and anticipates. Yeah. So you'll I'm be in those you. bikini briefs by June. Yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah. So actually,
3: I'm wearing them now, but that's probably too much
0: information. Yeah. Tony Tony, Stro- oh. Tony doesn't like that sitting next to you. So, hey buddy Hey, there you go. Push him so, out the door. So what do you what do you have for us today, Harry? Uh Paul's in Corinth, Maine. <clears throat> Paul has a question
2: for the car doctor. He says every car he's ever owned, he's taken the
3: thermostat out and that it runs cooler and that it defies physics,
0: why he would even tell you to take a thermostat you know, to keep it in. So Okay, That's a good question, right? That's a good question. Let's see if we got an answer. Paul, you're on with the car doctor at 855-560-9900, sir. How can I help?
3: I've been uh, having a discussion with the people that I have coffee with in the morning. And I mentioned one morning that I'd had a problem years and years ago with a car uh, thermostat stuck, and I blew a radiator hose. And I, when I replaced the hose, I took the thermostat out and tossed it, of course. And didn't replace it, because I was in California where it wasn't necessary. And uh, the engine ran cooler after. And they said, oh, no, no, you take thermostat out, that engine's going to overheat. And I don't know what physics principle that is based on.
0: Okay. You ever take the car out on a real cold morning, Paul, and turn the heat on? And once the car is warmed up, you put the heat on full blast? And did you ever notice that when you have the heat on full blast and then you turn it down two clicks to middle or low, it's always hotter on low speed, right? You ever notice that? Yes, yeah. Your your hand will actually burn. on On a good heater in a car, your hand will actually become very uncomfortable to hold there when that heater is at lower speed than it is at high speed. Okay. Did you ever wonder about that, why it's like that? No. I uh, never did. Why do you think it's like that? Um,
3: I don't know. The water circulating slower, and and the engine is heating it hotter. and
0: Well, slower actually has something to do with it. You're giving the air that's around. It has nothing to do with coolant in the sense of the engine building more or less temperature, but it has to do with you're giving the air more time around the heater core to absorb the heat and be heated. So Mm -hmm. the speed at which it's traveling is affecting how the heat is transferred into the air itself. Right. So at lower speeds, the air is moving slower, so it absorbs more heat, therefore it dissipates more heat, and you feel it in the end result on your hand. Okay. That being said, thermostat, Depending upon where you are in certain parts of the country, taking the thermostat out will actually cause an engine to overheat because you do not regulate the coolant and slow it down enough for it to be in the radiator long enough for it to dissipate the heat, for it to be exchanged out into the cooler air. It passes through so quickly that it will actually cause the coolant temperature to go up or not be cooled as efficiently as it can be and the engine will overheat as a result. In your Boy, case, that. in your case, I know you're going to say you took it out and it ran cooler, but it couldn't have been in hot temperature. That would defy, you're right, that does defy the law of physics. Yeah, uh,
3: right.
0: I, I would think in certain climates, depending upon where you are, if it got into the cooler season, if you were in L.A., and, you know, in L.A., if it hits 40 degrees, they think it's a crisis. Uh, you know, you wouldn't, you may get away with it, but I would also think you'd have heat issues. And on a newer car, on a computerized car, you would be setting fault codes because engine temperature has to come up to a specific because they're looking at engine temperature to help maintain emissions and keep that vehicle running within compliance for fuel economy and performance and things like that. Now, okay. in the old days— Well, my friends will be
3: happy to hear what you said because
0: that in the old days, been their argument. Well, here, in, in the old days, what we used to do with the hot rod— And you'll still see it on cars today, mechanical cars, non-computerized cars. You'll put a thermostat in, small block Chevy, for example, and you'll cut the center portion of the thermostat out. You'll cut the button, as we like to say, and it'll just put a, or you'll go out and Edelbrock made them at one time and a bunch of people made them. They were called restrictor plates and they were just metal plates that didn't have a thermostat in it, but just the orifice would vary in size and it would restrict or open up flow through the cooling system so you could play with optimal temperature where you wanted it to be. Right. But, but, you know, in reality, a cooling system needs a certain restriction in order to allow the coolant to exchange properly out of the radiator and dissipate the heat like it's supposed to.
3: That's what my buddies have been saying. and I've been arguing with them, and uh, my two experiences have been that I had a engine I had a job in Arizona where I traveled and I would travel at highway speeds. My temperature would get up close to the red line. I'd take the thermostat out, and I couldn't experience that problem anymore
0: right now it may and have been now it may have been that there was an issue with the cooling system somewhere along the way in that car. maybe there was a deficiency in the radiator, maybe there was a problem in water pump impeller. Maybe there was a problem somewhere else fan-wise and the thermostat somehow modified that temperature curve to allow it to operate properly like that. But as designed, cars need thermostats because they have to be a restriction to help regulate temperature flow to help keep the engine operating in peak performance condition right where the manufacturers and the engineers designed it. You can probably find information regarding thermostat operation as well as other cooling system components like the radiator caps itself, get out to Stant.com. Um, great website. They've got a bunch of educational material there. You can get out to Stant, Stant.com and uh, see what they've got going on and do some reading that way. I appreciate the call, Paul. And if you have any others, you know where to find me, 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's back right after this. Ron in and Indian, the car doctor here, 855 560 is the 24-7 number. Give us a call. Talk to us about your car problem. Calling in right now is Ronnie with some questions about coolant test strips. Ron, you're on with the car doctor. How can I help?
1: Hi, Ronnie. How are you doing today?
0: Good. What's going on?
1: Hey, I, I'm just uh, an, an old guy that used to monkey around with the old cars, and I was when you were talking not too long ago about coolant and make sure you're checking for pH and, and other stuff in there that could be causing corrosion, uh, I never really took a look at that part. My being in Michigan, you pretty much uh, checked the make it the freeze points there and uh, and all of the above. So when I got to take a look at what we had out there, uh, I got a two, five, 2005 Silverado Chevy and a 2006 Pontiac Torrent, and I went and bought some strips and uh, I took some testing on it. And a lot of the stuff were, were quite low on it as far as, like, say, uh, the pH was, um, was, say, 70. And then the freezing was good at 60, minus 60. And then they call a nitrite, something like that. Right. And that was at zero. Okay. You're- so uh, my question is, the, and I was looking at, uh, I used to do myself, my own flushing that, but I took a look at that. I'm going, I don't know if I really want to tackle this. The best to go to a shop and have it done. And my question is, will the, will the person that flushes this out and re puts that stuff in, put that type of additive in it That's they're doing, or is that something that I need to monitor and, and put my own stuff in?
0: Which, which additive is, is that Ronnie?
1: I, uh, gosh, um, I wish I had wrote it down and I didn't. It was by uh uh Wixom or Wix.
0: Are you uh, are you referring to you know the the chemicals that you're testing for in the cooling system? Yes, yeah. Okay. The the chemicals that you're testing for in the cooling system, what you're seeing is you're seeing the chemical breakdown of the coolant itself. That's not additives. Oh. All right. In other words, you're you're testing and depending upon how old you are, and I remember this, and it sounds like we're both in the same age group, like, yep. give or take, um, you know, high school science class when we tested if something was a base or an acid uh, chemical, and, right. and and that's basically what you're doing. You're testing the coolant to see is it breaking down into apple cider, is it turning breaking down into vinegar, mm-hmm. where it's going to be corrosive and the effects on the inside of the engine block and the radiator are going to cause those components to break down or is it still a neutral state so to speak where it's not corrosive now you said a couple of interesting things about changing the coolant the most effective way to change coolant in terms of protecting the componentry the block the radiator the water pump and so on is with an exchanger to use a coolant exchange machine draining the radiator heck draining the radiator and pulling core plugs out of the engine block which on a lot of cars today is really impractical for for location it's just insanity where everything is buried still doesn't get any residue or contaminant or particulate that is laying in the bottom of the block in those coolant galleys so an exchanger is swirling it around it's 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 it's, it's the liquid is moving and in, in if depending upon how often you do it and what type of machine, it's it's swirling things up and carrying the contaminant out and replacing it with fresh coolant. So the idea is, and this is the argument about, you know, Dex cool for Dex cool, um, Ford Gold for Ford Gold, Chrysler for Chrysler, using correct coolant and correct vehicles, mm-hmm. in, in that it has the right chemical makeup and components you know, to balance with the components that are in the vehicle and the cooling system. Okay. There's exceptions to that. I spoke last hour about an 05 Yukon Denali with 160,000 miles on it that I did a radiator in. Mm -hmm. Somewhere along the way, April had coolant replaced, and she had had green coolant put in in place of the Dex cool, which is not an uncommon practice, and we did it again for her. And we did it after discussion simply because at this age of the vehicle's life, and her pocketbook, it was more practical to put green coolant in there. Is she going to get as good a cooling system protection as the decks cool? The GM engineers would probably give you an argument. But from a street view, from this street mechanic, I think she's fine. But in terms of any additives to add to it, such as you're describing, no, you're, it's, it's not that complicated. If, if your coolant tests high in acidity, And I'll simplify it like this. If your coolant tests high in acidity, take it to a shop, have the coolant exchanged, have some sort of coolant service done like that, proper coolant back in, and the key most important thing, change the coolant bottle. If it's got any sort of dirt and scale on it, always consider the coolant bottle as a source where all those little cockroaches live. I'm Ron and The Car Doctor. We're back right after this. car is automatic, it's systematic, it's hydromatic, Why de greased lightning. Greased lightning!
2: We'll get some overhead lifters and four-barrel bars, oh yeah.
0: Welcome back. Ron and in and The Car Doctor, 855-560-9900 is the phone number. Give us a call. Leave a message if we're not here. That's a 24-7 service. Fast Terry, will call you back and line you up for the next time. We're up and available on radio. Let's get over and talk to Glenn, Philadelphia, PA, 2006 Audi. Some questions and opinions. Oh, good. I like these kind of questions, Glenn. Actually, I like all the kinds of questions, but these are these can be fun. What's going on?
2: Hey, Ron. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome, sir. Uh, Yeah, I have two questions. The first one is um, a friend of mine uh, was selling this Audi. It's a 2006 Audi Quattro with a turbo, 20,000 original miles, one over, very well maintained. Right. Um, The questions I have, I'm I'm a home health worker, so I do a lot of stop-and-go city driving. And um, I actually haven't driven the car yet, but I just want to get your opinion because I know it's a high-end car and repairs aren't going to be cheap, which the owner readily admits. But he's selling it for six thousand five hundred bucks, which to me is a really good deal.
0: Yeah, that so, is that is probably a really um, good deal. That way, you can spend another six thousand five hundred to to bring it up to spec, and <laughs> you know it's <laughs> it's so you know be 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 careful of you know be be careful of uh, um, the initial price. Um, uh, so, Getty, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Finish your question, Glenn.
2: Um, that that's pretty much it for this car. You know what? What do you think about the reliability? I asked him specifically if the turbo's ever been worked on or any problems, and he said no. Um, well, it's sh- service,
0: right? And it shouldn't be at twenty thousand miles. At twenty thousand miles, theoretically, the car's had what six oil changes? Uh, you know, over the past ten yeah. years, which is which is scary unto itself, but. You know, let's let's look at the options here. You're buying an 11 year old car. Forget the mileage. You're buying an 11 year old car with low mileage. That, based on time, you know, you've got to start to think about some of the rubber components. Uh, I believe this is a right. timing belt equipped vehicle. Uh, you know, the rest of the right. rubber under the hood, and you're going to turn this into something as a as an everyday driver stop and go. I uh, you know yeah. if If this is, and I'll be blunt and please don't take offense, please, please, if this is that midlife crisis car that you want to kind of feel that German car experience, I'd buy something as an everyday vehicle and go lease a BMW for the weekend for two years and uh, experience it that way because, you know, the initial cheap price of this car is going to lead you astray, I think, at some point. Um, You know, low mileage doesn't impress me you know i would be okay. more i would be more i would be more impressed by 60,000 miles never had a component failure and it's had meticulous maintenance i would probably put more hope to that and that's partly because of what it is it's an audi and it really wouldn't change right. much you know if this was a toyota or a honda or a chevy or a ford my answer would still be the same you know what like sitting in the chair that car is 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 aging as it sits in the garage and that's yep. going to have an effect on the reliability and it's going to have a, an effect on the the mortality of the vehicle in general so mileage itself doesn't really carry the day not at this age it's 11 years old right, right. this is this is yep. you know the the 2017 model year cars are less than four months away you, you know you, you got to think about okay. that how long that car has been out there second question
2: um 2011-2012 Toyota Avalon. That's really the car I'm um, considering buying in the next couple of months. I've researched it a little bit. Um, uh, bigger car than when I have a drive. I drive an Altima, but just in terms of reliability for the car and any, um, you know, known pattern failures. Anything I should be on the lookout for that?
0: No, most of the Toyotas of that of that vintage, you know, you'll see the occasional charcoal canister go south. Um, there are issues with a lot of the Toyotas in that vintage and not just the Avalon's um, oil consumption issues. If the oil hasn't been maintained properly and as, as long as okay. that's been done, you want to look for that. Some catalytic converter stuff. Again, maintenance plays a heck of an important role okay. in that. But I'll say, it, I'll say it like this. Let's compare the two vehicles. You've got the Audi. You've got the Toyota. The Audi, you need either an Audi dealer or somebody with blonde hair and blue eyes to work on the car in in terms of capability, and they've got to speak German and have right. that dealer-level scan right. tool, which is by itself yep. very expensive. They, they Audi does not make it easy for anyone outside of the dealership chain to work on it, which is kind of interesting. Toyota yep. gives you the ability for $500, any repair shop can go out and buy the Toyota factory scan tool and plug it in $30 a day, and have a subscription to the same information that the dealership has. Definitely okay. affordable. Definitely making it repairable for the masses. You know Okay.
2: So you kinda like this car is what I'm saying. Yeah, I like
0: car. that. I, I like that, Toyota. As long as it's the right car. Okay. Um right. you know, cars and I think this is probably the takeaway, Glenn. Cars are like kids when they're younger think of you know I can remember when I was in my teens I could stay out all night I could stay up till three four o'clock in the morning get up for work at six o'clock and you know be ready to go for another 14 18 hours now now I get up at three o'clock in the morning to do something else and I want to be in bed by eight o'clock the night before and I'm tired and I sleep all day until seven the next morning um you know it's it's I, I'm not as durable as I once was cars are the same way and and the rougher you're on a car when it's younger it always shows up in old age, which is why I think I'm so well preserved at this point. So, <laughs> can um,
2: I can I sneak one more in? Yeah, real quick. Okay. Um, if I go late model car, 2014, 2015, I was thinking maybe a, a four cylinder or a six cylinder Camry or a Accord. What do you What do you think about that? Which engine and which model?
0: I would take the I would take the Camry over the Honda. Okay. All right. Only because my experience with Honda, and I'm allowed to have my opinion, even though maybe people might disagree, is Honda seems to have this we're perfect attitude, and that just absolutely okay. drives me insane. Um, you know, there are no mistakes at, at, at Honda Motor Car Company. They're absolutely perfect, or so they will tell you. Okay. And, um, and I've had conversations with them about that, and I would probably take, I would take out of the four or the six. They're both good engines. They're both tried and true. And um, I'm gonna throw okay. one I'm gonna throw one more in the mix and it might be a curve for you. Go take a look at a Ford Fusion. Really and truly. Okay. Go take a look at a Ford Fusion. Drive it. It's a nice car. Um, and Ford's Play another car. 14 15. Fourteen fifteen. And Ford's another car company. They make it very easy for outside shops to get repair information and serviceability. And they're they're very happy to take my money. They're very happy to answer questions. They're very happy to be part of the repair process because they know that if I make you, the customer, happy with that car and fix it properly, you're going to come back and buy another one. they figured it out.
2: Is that fusion chain or belt-driven and five- or six-speed trans, and then I'll
0: I'll stop? I would believe it's going to depend on engine combinations and some other factors. But by the same token, um, I think the V6 – no, actually, the V6 Toyota is going to be a chain in both of them. I believe I think Toyota did away with belts and I believe the oh. Ford is in the four cylinder I believe it's a chain and I can't I can't recall what the six is but definitely worth looking at. All right sir.
2: Both good motors. Yeah, both Ford, good motors. Both
0: both good motors. Okay. So, let me put it to you this way. We hey, put Thanks we, so much. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome, Glenn. You have a good rest of the afternoon. 855-560-9900. The car doctor's back. Don't go away.
1: Land, where the supermarket used to stand Before that they put up a alley to
0: the Welcome back, Ron and Nanny in the car doctor. The phones are getting backed up. Let me see if I can free up the traffic here. Let's start with Barry in Marlboro, New Jersey, 2006 Ford 500. Barry, you're on with the car doctor. How can I help? Okay, thanks, Ron. You're welcome.
2: Um, the the uh, car... When I'm driving, say 30, 40 miles an hour, and I let up on the gas, the RPM drops to around 1,100 RPM. And when I try to even gently accelerate, the engine lugs, like it's in too high a gear. Right. If I press down harder, it'll downshift and accelerate fine. But if it's running anywhere around, anywhere below 1,500 RPM, it'll lug. Okay. So how do I diagnose that problem?
0: Well, first thing I would do, and I have to tell you, out of all the Ford products, and I, I like a lot of them, it seems like the 500s have this particular as a common trait. And it's, it's not, this isn't the first time I've heard this complaint and this symptom. Um, one of the things I would do to see if this is trans-related is this is, if this is trans, I'll say it like this, trans-information-related, I would two-foot this. If you tap the brake pedal while you're stepping on the gas, does it solve the problem? And by that, I'm what I've seen is I've seen the, the transmission torque converter stay on when it's not supposed to in either lock-up or it's in overdrive, it's in too high of a gear. Right. Stepping on the brake automatically kicks it out because something else is out of calibration or out of kilter, not automatically kicking it down based on load and speed. Right. So if, while you're driving... 1,500, however, and it's lugging, if you tap the brake pedal, step on the brake while you're stepping on the gas, does that change it and cause the trans to shift, allowing proper operation at that point? Okay. That's number one. Number two, there are more than a few reflashes available for this car with everything from trans shifting to throttle body operation to overall engine performance issues. So I always I mean I always make sure all the cars I'm diagnosing have latest software revisions. This is one of those cars that's at the forefront of my mind. This particular generation of Ford products seems to thrive on reflashes. So always make sure the software is the latest and the greatest. Okay? Okay. Number three, you're aware of the fact that maybe, and based on VIN, this is particular, this vehicle might have an extended warranty. For RPM and throttle body issues,
2: I wasn't aware of that. Okay,
0: take a look at you want to you want to get over to the Ford store and take a look at um, uh, or get yourself a copy of. There's a campaign regarding um, engine idle RPM warranty extension. And if memory serves me correct, it's part number or bulletin or recall number. I'm sorry, recall number, campaign number. I should say campaign. I want to use the right terminology. Campaign number twelve, and is in Nancy zero three. Okay, and that came out a couple of years ago, and that talks about extending warranty on throttle bodies for carbon deposits and all sorts of drivability issues yeah. uh, that go on with these cars. That's 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 where I would approach this. That's that's how I would take this. I mean, I could get into the specifics of looking at fuel trim and some of the other things with a scan tool, but you know, in the interest of time, I would say start here with these three areas. And then we can we can talk again next week if we have to or the following week. Um, let's start the ball there and see where that gets us. Let's get over and talk to Mark in uh, Connecticut, two thousand nine Toyota Camry. And uh, some quick questions. How yes, you doing, Mark. Ryan? Yes, sir. Uh,
2: quick question for you. I've got a ninety thousand uh it's got ninety thousand miles. Uh we call it the Camel. I'm Armenian like yourself, so we call it the, the Toyota Camel, the three ounce camel. Right. Um, I've got ninety thousand miles. Do I is there any maintenance issues I should be aware of, like flushing the transmission, the tranny, the flushing the coolant, doing hoses, that kind of thing?
0: Well, to know to know what needs to be done now, Mark, you got to look back what was done at sixty. Anything?
2: Yeah, honestly, I bought the car at sixteen thousand miles. I'm the second owner. I use it for work. I travel across the state of Connecticut. Right. The only thing I've done to it change the oil and the filter you know okay yeah
0: nothing else so if if you know if it's been 30,000 miles since fluid's been done or if it's been longer you know we do that has toyota uh ws fluid in it the world-class stuff their upgraded fluid and they tell you change it never or until when the trans blows up in reality real (laughs) life we (laughs) typically do it every 45 to 50,000 miles and that seems okay. to be where the dealers are doing it. And you know, this is a case where the dealer and I are in agreement that yeah, every forty-five, fifty is a good time to change Toyota W S fluid. So definitely a trans fluid change at this point in its life. I wouldn't necessarily do a flush, um, an exchange if you can get somebody with an exchanger. But to change the fluid would be a good idea. When was the last time okay. coolant was done? I'm guessing it's it's probably original. It's a 2009. It's probably a very bright pink fluid, which is Toyota Super Long Life, five year coolant. If the coolant hasn't been done and you've owned the car for a couple of years, it's time. Spark plugs. Spark plugs are a great thing to take a look at now simply because of the age of the vehicle and you're approaching the mileage limit. I don't like to let things go to a hundred thousand. Do it at ninety, get it over with. A carbon cleaning, find a shop that does a carbon cleaning service. BG fuel system products. We've been talking about them lately. Good way to go, professional series stuff. BG Fuel System products, you'll find them out on the web. You want to read more information. Brake fluid flush. Hoses, hoses are pretty durable, but, you know, here you are six, seven years old. You wouldn't have to twist my arm to get me to put upper and lower radiator hoses and a thermostat on this particular vehicle. Get out to Stant.com to read more about thermostats and what their operational cycle is. And by all means, take a look at the brakes, take a look at the tires, maybe a tire rotation. You can get out to GeneralTire.com, read more about tires and why you want to change them and some of the things to look for there. And if you have any other questions, Mark, give us a call back. I'm sorry. The clock's going to take us, and uh, we can be more detail uh, maybe next week. Let's pull over and take the pause. I'm Ron in The Car Doctor. We'll be right back. Back. We're on the evening of The Car Doctor real quick. Let's get over to Irene and some questions about an 07 Chevy Malibu. Irene, I've got about a minute and a half. Go.
1: Yeah, well, the, the, uh, the light comes on, says low, low fuel. I get the tank filled clear up, and it still comes on.
0: Okay. You probably have a bad fuel level sender, meaning the, the, the unit in the tank that, re, that reads and reports fuel level is not working they've had more than a few problems with them that depending upon the quality of the fuel being used in the vehicle and this doesn't seem to be anything you're doing but millions of people are doing the sensors themselves are getting coated with a sulfur like product and it's causing sender issues sometimes fuel tank cleaners or fuel system cleaners can help it but in the majority of cases it is a fuel level sender the piece in the tank What the mechanic can do to help move the diagnosis along if they plug in a scan tool to the connector under the dash and read for fault codes, they will in all likelihood see a P is in Peter, zero 0463, 463 fault code, which is an improper or inaccurate fuel level sender reading. Um, in English, the gas tank sending unit isn't reading and the computer is picking up on that and setting a fault code. One thing to note, this particular car... You might find in General Motors' comment bulletin PIP 3984 about the fuel gauge reading backwards after part replacement. Wrong part in the catalog. Make sure you check it. I'm Ron Annie in the car doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless.